Hey folks, you're listening to the Money Date Podcast, a podcast that my husband and I launched to help young couples get real about their money. We'll ask our friends and a few strangers all the uncomfortable and awkward questions about how they handle their money. All the gory details, and hopefully a few tips and tricks along the way that you can pick up and use in your own relationship. All right, we're live. Perfect. John and Jennifer, welcome to The Money Date. We're so excited to have you guys here. I wanted to kick this conversation off by having you guys tell our listeners how you first met. Yeah, uh, why don't I take that? So uh, Jen and I actually met, uh, we first met actually in college. Uh, we didn't actually start dating until a little bit afterwards, but you know, we were both part you know, of a college kind of club or organization uh, when we were there. You know, we had joined maybe six months a, a year apart, uh, and you know, we started to, to actually build a friendship after college just because you know, Jennifer was, was, was working for jobs and I've been working for about a year. Uh, and, you know, we, we really built a really close friendship. And then, you know, over time, you know, I traveled a lot for the first you know, six months or a year uh, when I got my first job, you know, and every time I come back, I would come back and we'd have the same you know, friend group and social group. And we just started to become friends and we started talking more and more. And then, you know, that, that friendship started to build a build. And we just kind of realized that there was uh, a little bit more than than friendship uh after that we realized we had a lot in common and you know it was really great that that you know everything that i was really interested in jen was super open about about taking an interest in or learning a little bit more about and then uh same kind of with jen i don't know is there anything you'd add jen uh the interesting thing is you know um of all of our college friends and we went to school at uc san diego you know we were all looking to work in tech one day and everyone was looking for a job in the Bay Area, myself included. And it was actually really serendipitous that I found, I got a full-time offer um, at a Bay Area tech company, but then actually end up working at their San Diego location. So I think that actually was a lot of the foundation of, you know, why we continue to keep in touch and kind of, you know, continue to grow that friendship into something more. Um, I think it was just that opportunity that we were um, in the same place at the same time. That's awesome. That sounds like kismet, as as we say. Um, (laughs) So tell us about the first moment or the first time you guys even started talking about finances in your relationship. Yeah, I think the first time it was interesting. We had dated for maybe like a month or two. (laughs) And, you know, Jen, you know, for her, when she started working, she really wanted to kind of cap off her, her first job with, you know, something to kind of celebrate that. And, you know, she had always kind of had a dream as a kid to buy, you know, like a really nice designer bag, you know? So I remember the first time that you and me both, Jennifer, (laughs) she had bought like a, a couple thousand dollar Chanel bag. And I remember a couple months in, you know, I, I I heard about that and I was like, I was shocked because I'm, I'm a type of guy that, you know, likes to script and save you, you know, you know, when I was in college and, 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 and a little bit afterwards, like, you know, like I would go and buy the generic toothpaste at like long, you know, at, at like the, the pharmacy just to save 50 cents every time. <laughs> and for her, this like, it blew my mind, you know, and, um, but that was the first kind of money conversation that we had that it was, I was trying to understand kind of, you know, how somebody, you know, that just started working could, could spend that much money on yeah. something like a designer bag to celebrate. And I think it was interesting because I was just completely not bashful about it at all. If anything, it was just <laughs> it was so a matter of fact for me. I'm like, okay, this is, that was my goal. Um, I wanted to, you know, celebrate with my first paycheck and that was what I was going to do. And it was completely unapologetic. And I, I just kind of shared it with him as like, oh, this is just something that happened. Like it was a Tuesday. And I think that was just such a jarring and different mindset about money than he had. So it was um, it was just a, a very interesting kind of catalyst to our first, I guess, finance conversation. 
I love that it. story. And, and where did the conversation go from there? You talk about uh, having a different mindset there than, than John. I think if anything, this is something that even now we continue to like actively work on. I think we've gotten a lot better. And I think when we first started, we were, if there was a spectrum, like I was on one end and John was on the other end. <laughs> and I think now over time, we've, as we've, you know, understood more about why we think the way we think, and we're able to actually not just understand, but appreciate that. Um, I think we have gotten closer to the middle of the spectrum, but we're definitely not like totally aligned on everything. Um, so I think that's kind of, you know, where we're still at yeah. in terms of our mindset. And to, to dig deeper, you know, it's interesting because finance was a little bit of like a gateway for us to talk about a lot of other stuff in our lives. You know, like one of the things that I realized as we were talking about kind of this situation with my design handbags, like we grew up completely differently. You know, like Jennifer, for her, when she was, you know, growing up, her parents always celebrate big occasions. You know, her, her parents were business owners. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every time they had a milestone, they would go to like, you know, to vacation or they would kind of go buy something to commemorate that. For me, you know, when I was growing up, even you know, Christmases and birthdays, like we didn't give gifts. Like there was nothing really to celebrate. It was like, okay, on to the next thing. And it's always yeah. about, you know, onward and upward, you know, and, and, and you know, it wasn't something that I had done. And that's something that we learned about each other. And it took me a while to appreciate kind of what it was like to kind of celebrate kind of these moments and things like that. Yeah. I think a lot of it is stemmed from just how we grew up in our household. One thing that I always, you know, challenge on is like, you know, are we living for the now? Or are we living for the future? My family is actually very much for living for the now. And so, you know, when we have uh, the means to do it, like my parents would always be the first one to to celebrate and seize the opportunity, you know, take that opportunity to to commemorate it. And I think for John's family, it's very different. It's it's about living for the future and, and making sure that there's financial security in the future. So I think that's just a very different way of going about it. No, that's really interesting. And, and you, you have two very different foundations there. Part of getting to know each other and part of learning about each other involves taking on the other person's habits. How have John's different habits and thinking about money influenced you over the years? And and John, how have Jennifer's habits changed the way that you think about finances? I'm very similar to kind of how I was at 22. You know, like, I think I take a lot of pride in being kind of an independent woman and, you know, you know, earning my own money and just taking pride in that. So I think the independence piece is um, something that's really core to my, just me as a person. And so I kind of like to look at my finances as solely as my own. And so when I make decisions, I don't like to always think about someone else. If anything, it's, you know, I just see it as my own decision. And, um, you know, it's something that I've worked hard for. And so in terms of, you know, being in a relationship with John and kind of having him influence me of, you know what, it's not always living for the now. And it's also, you know, we have to also live for the future. His frugality, and I mean that in the best sense, has really rubbed off on me. When I think about spending, I I do think twice about spending. Um, Before it was just, you know, me, myself and I and my decision and my money. And I, and I just, you know, kind of did it without, again, unapologetically. And I think now it's, it's less about apologizing. It's more about considering. Um, So I consider, you know, our family and our life, you know, a lot more, if anything, I put that above, obviously, my own interests. And I think that's a huge fundamental shift in my own just personal mindset. 
I think for me, it's really two things that I learned being with uh, Jennifer. The first is uh, when it comes to money and also with celebrations, like I've learned how to celebrate actual holidays now, right? Like Thanksgivings and Christmases and birthdays and Valentine's Days and and, and, and taking a moment to live in the present there and, and, and to, to really kind of celebrate. That's something that I've learned, something that I didn't do, you know, as, as, as a kid with my family. And that's that's been really, really great because it allows me kind of to, to really live Again, like I mentioned in the moment, I think the second thing that's that's really that's been great is you know Jen and I have really different philosophies when it comes even to investing. You know, for me, you know, Jen had mentioned that I kind of live in the future, want to make sure that we have a really good financial um, security, you know, as we get older. But one of the things I really appreciated about Jen is that you know she is very not only is she unapologetic about what she spends money on to celebrate things, but she's unapologetic on things she wants to invest in too. And you know, for me, I'm I, I've realized over the years that I can be a little bit uh, risk averse for that, and for Jen, you know, she's really pushed me, you know, to 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 take bigger risks, and and she's really taught me, you know, the idea of like if you you cannot make you know money, you cannot make larger investments if you don't take a little bit more of a risk. And I think that's been something that's been really you know core and fundamental to our relationship and how we think about investing in the future and about money is that we have to have a, a, a really good balance. I love that because you know the journey that you guys are describing is one that so many couples share of coming from very very different uh, almost opposite ends of the spectrum as you described Jen. In fact I remember when uh, Delmar and I first started dating Christmas presents was such a new concept because Delmar <laughs> never celebrated Christmas in the past and the two of us you know I said well I want to find a way to celebrate the holidays so that that story really resonates personally. I'm curious, based on on that experience, how you guys then decided as when you got married on on how to share your finances and if that's changed at all over time. I, I think that's an interesting question because not only were we on kind of different sides of the spectrum when we talked about kind of our philosophies of money, the way that our parents handled money when we grew up were completely different as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you look at my my childhood, you know, my parents, they've always had uh, shared finances. You know, everything was shared. Everything was in both parents' name. All the investments were, all decisions were made together. And, and every single last dollar uh, that was made was put into kind of like this family pot that was shared. I think for Jennifer, it, it was a little bit different that her – parents when they grew up they had split finances right uh john's parents you know they had dual income right so it was kind of a dual income household growing up my household was just um a single income so it's a very traditional kind of like nuclear 1950s family you know you had my mom as a homemaker and then my dad was um the breadwinner but the interesting thing is my mom was the head of the household when it came to finances Mm -hmm. she was the one that read up on all the mortgages and all the equity and she she was very well versed in all of that and actually my dad that was the the breadwinner he knew nothing about any of that and so when making decisions I actually saw my mom um as you know kind of the figurehead for that and so um to me that kind of instilled in me of like okay you know being as a woman like you have to understand these things um and it was just something that she just taught me from an early age and you know with John's family although the finances were shared I know like your dad is definitely like you know takes the lead in terms of like making financial decisions and and all of that and so I think that's also a difference of um kind of background um as we kind of you know come into a family together um because you know i i think like oh as a woman like i i make decisions and then Mm -hmm. he comes in he's like oh well i've seen my dad make decisions and so there's like a natural kind of conflict there 
That's so interesting. You know, women actually in our generation, especially, tend to manage household finances about seventy percent of the time. But、mm. interestingly, men tend to handle the longer term sort of investing and, and retirement planning、um, mm. or real estate as well, which I want to talk to you guys about in a minute. So, how did those very different situations affect you guys as you tried to make a decision on how you were going to think about your shared finances? Just coming again from a, a little bit more of an independent mindset, I think I still hold on to kind of this piece of you know I, I still want my own finances in addition to having blended finances, and I know it's something that you know John and I actively talk about, and、um, you know John, correct me if I'm wrong. I know you would prefer if we just kind of. Had it completely blended, you know, there is hesitation from my side because、um, you know I'm I'm just not there yet. I think as we've gotten married and and you know as we continue to con- have conversations about this, I get closer every single day, but I'm still not there where I'm saying I'm a hundred percent just you know everything in one pot and and not kind of have my own a little bit of my own independence outside of kind of our blended finances. Yeah, and then I think the way that we've been able to kind of bridge that gap a little bit to kind of find some middle ground is is really to have, you know, shared resources when it comes and 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 money when it comes to you know paying for the mortgage, paying for you know our credit card, we're buying groceries and dinners, things like that. And we we always save you know a little bit on the side, you know, that we can use to spend for ourselves. We found that that actually really worked. It took us a really long time to kind of get there to figure it out. And you know, Jennifer's right. Like for me, I I prefer to have you know shared. Finances and shared thinking. I think that's just you know for two reasons. One, you know, one, it's it's just for how 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 it was brought up, and secondly, you know, having that it, it has an ability for us to be able to 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 make decisions together on kind of everything. And and sometimes we've learned over the years it's not you know for for things that you're buying for yourself, you know, you may not want to have you know that that decision made together. That sometimes you should have a little bit set aside for yourself so that you can you know celebrate some things or or if you, if you want to splurge a little bit with your friends to go do this. Like we found that that's worked really really well. Got it. And and you said it took a little bit of tinkering to to get there. What other approaches had you tried and dropped, and why hadn't they worked?、Um, I actually don't think we've taken other approaches. I think it was just very long, hard conversations about、yeah. it before we even made a decision to have a fully joint account.、Um, you know, prior to this, we we had. Credit card, but then you know John was an authorized user, and we kind of like that was a proxy for a lot of you know us funding kind of things that we would spend together, whether it's vacations and things like that. And it wasn't until you know、um, we were engaged, or maybe even after we got married,、um, where we actually went in and have a joint account, and that took a long time to get there. And I don't think necessarily experiment with different approaches. We just needed to have. Many conversations about it until both of us were comfortable to walk into the bank together and and do this. That you know follows such a similar format to what Delmar and I went through. The first thing we got was a joint credit card and、mm-hmm. and grew from there.、Um, though I think we got a joint account before we got married.、Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, one of the things that I'm really interested about is you guys have such different perspectives in some ways about money. But one of the things that I know you do is invest in real estate, which is a pretty big investment and something that requires a lot of coordination and, and being on the same page. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about how you guys have dabbled in real estate? It started off really, really 
a long time ago, you know, uh, it, it started off probably when I was in college. And what happened was, um, you know, when, when I was in college, my, my dad had always told me, you know, invest in real estate, invest in real estate um, for two reasons. One, because it's a it's an appreciating asset and it is considered that. And secondly, because uh, he kind of sensed and he knew that the market was, was was at a time where it was really depressed. So, you know, unbeknownst to me, you know, when I graduated, he kept pushing for years and years and years. Um, he, he had actually set aside uh, some money that I hadn't used in my college fund. You know, he had put aside money for, for my college fund to go to you know any kind of college that I wanted to to um, to be able to support that uh, in the United States private or, or public you know I ended up choosing a public school uh, uh, so he had a little bit of, of money left over uh, and he had been putting some money you know over the years in, in that fund too um, you know because he, he he really wanted to to make sure that that you know for for me that I was that it wasn't something that I was thinking about you know and then about a year or two after I, I graduated you know we had this money in the fund the the real estate prices were really low so we, we bought a home. Um, in San Diego. Uh, this is when I was maybe 24 uh, years old. And, you know, we, we had lived in, in, in that home for about two years. And it, it really started off as me being like an accidental landlord. You know, we, we wanted to rent out some of the rooms in that room because that's just what, what you did in, in college. And when you first graduated, you, you, you had three bedrooms, you rented out two of them because you didn't need the extra two rooms. There's no reason, right? And that's what you were used to. So we did that for a while, um, for about two years. And then I had moved up uh, to Sunnyvale and, and the Bay Area, uh, it's, you know, one to be closer to family, but also because, you know, J Jennifer and I talked about, you know, eventually moving back and I had a great opportunity. So I moved back and Jennifer was kind of managing the household uh, for about six or eight months, the roommates. Um, and then she had eventually moved up and we just treated it like an investment property. We didn't know what to do. We didn't want to sell it. We just thought we should just leave it there. And, and I, I, I had been managing that that property um just remotely from from the bay area for a couple of years and it was it was tough at times but you know we always got through it there was you know there's some stories i could tell you about you know like a water heater just blowing up in the in the garage me having to go with my dad for two weeks and and and, and do a complete remodel of of, of the, the upstairs and downstairs it was wow. one of the best times of my life but it was it taught me a lot you know about real estate and and as i was doing that because i became an accidental lender I mean, we bought a home in in Sunnyvale, and we were living here. We, we, um, you know, I started to get really interested in, in into real estate, thinking this could be a, a long term thing. You know, I, I think it's also helpful that we went into one of the biggest booms, uh, ho housing booms in kind of the history of the United States between 2000, you know, 11, 12 to 2016, 2017. So, you know, it, it, I, I started to, to do a lot of research, started listening to podcasts. Uh, Bigger Pockets is one that I, I, I absolutely recommend for people that are looking to invest in passive uh, income source, sources, uh, as well as, you know, I, I, I educated myself by buying half a dozen books just to read a little bit more and learn a lot of different things. And we got really lucky uh, about a year and a half ago, I'd say, Jen, we, we, we mm -hmm. one of our friends uh, uh, had invested in a, in a home in, in Florida and you went through a real estate, what do they call it's it? A, it's an um, investment group. It's called uh, I. ICG, yeah, ICG, International yeah. Capital Group, and and it was this this consultant or, or advisor that would actually go and find different areas in the United States for for new home purchases and investments um, to build passive income uh, portfolio. So we we had you know talked to him. He had a seminar. He had like an expo. What he called it, which is almost just like 
you know, a, a place uh, where he would go and talk to, you know, in a crowd of 100. And we had a chance to talk to him. He had a whole setup of real estate agents and property managers and insurance people and 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 everything uh, that that we felt very comfortable working. So, you know, with the home in San Diego, I ran the numbers and realized, hey, if we were to sell it, we, we had built up a significant amount of, of equity that we could actually, you know, redeploy those 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 assets, you know, into kind of homes and real estate outside of California. And it would really set us up for the next 15 or 20 or 30 years. John, you're so speaking to my heart. One of my big sort of moments in, in early on in my childhood was one of my best friends in high school's dad used to buy massive plots of land in very cheap areas. And then he would essentially build up homes on that land. And his goal was to get somewhere between $500 to $1,000 of rent for each home. But his vision was that if I could essentially generate somewhere between ten to thirty thousand dollars in rental income every month, right. I'm golden. And so I was like, that is such a smart plan. And it was the it was the inspiration for me getting into real estate. Um, mm-hmm. And and you guys have clearly uh, caught that bug as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was really helpful too that you know for me. I was the person in the relationship that did all the research. I was really, really excited about it. But Jen is a little bit um, uh, more open to you know investment ideas. It had the tables been turned, and Jen was the one that was doing the research and was really going. I was the one that was really more apprehensive about it. You know, maybe that wouldn't have actually happened just because of our personalities. We got very lucky in that. And I think that having uh, Jennifer as a partner, as we talked about real estate, I mean, it's great because we have different kind of perspectives and personalities, and we were always able to kind of find some really good measured approach to to how how we did kind of real estate. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it. Um, I think this particular experience, in terms of us, you know, starting kind of our our real estate investments together, um, we've really found out what our strengths are. Like John mentioned, he's great at the research. He's he's great with the numbers. Me, not so much. But um, that's fine because I I think where what I I think um, am a value add is um, I'm. I'm one for action. And so I'm impatient with inaction. And so, you know, once, you know, there's enough research that's been done, I'm like, okay, let's go. Let's, we actually, um, you know, traveled and made a work trip out of one of the long weekends that we had um, earlier this year. And, and we essentially went to visit the plots of land in Florida, in, um, in Oklahoma city. Um, and I really pushed for us to do that. Cause I'm like, you know, we're not going to pull the trigger unless we actually go and make a trip out of it. And so I feel like that's kind of what I bring to the table, <laughs> not so much the yeah. number crunching and the research, but it's just pushing us to actually go and, and start doing to get comfortable with the idea of actually pulling the trigger. Yeah. And one story that we heard, it's funny when we were out in Oklahoma city, we were talking to the real estate agent driving us around. He's telling us a story about this lady that would fly out to Oklahoma every two or three years. and would always say she would want to buy a house and buy investment property and for about 15 20 years she came out every two years never bought a single home because she was just too scared she just couldn't pull the trigger and we'd always joke between me and me and jennifer that like if if jennifer was never there i would be that that woman that would go (laughs) that would never be able to pull the trigger and just always talk about it but never be able to do it so i think that's where we balance yeah yeah no that balance is key and it's it's a good thing john that you have uh, a jennifer then Given how you guys split your money, do you always treat investments as one or do you treat them as separate? I think it really depends, right? So when it comes to these real estate deals, um, we have put that all into a joint business bank banking account. So we treat that as completely combined because we, we the way that we think about it is that's going to be kind of our, our pension or retirement fund or it's mm-hmm. 
joint, right? But on the other hand, we also have, you know, uh, individual investments, you know, and, and and it's for a good reason, right? So, yeah. so for me, I have, you know, a separate, you know, Charles Schwab account that I use to, to invest in. I primarily invest most of my money into, you know, mutual funds and 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 the, the S&P 500, you know, index funds and things like that, or clones of, of it where it's a little bit less risk averse. And then Jennifer has... I, I have my own, you know, stock portfolio and um, I buy single stocks. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I also have a separate, you know, um, portion of the portfolio where I, you know, kind of dabble in robo investing. And so I'm, you know, I'm always trying out kind of these different channels of um, and different types of investing and, um, and kind of, you know, definitely more risky stocks. Um, so, I think having our own separate portfolio where it's more representative of, of us as investors, you know, individually, I think is super helpful. And then kind of the real estate investing is kind of what we treat as kind of this joint pool. I think a lot of that mimics uh, things that Aditi and I do. John, I think I share your your personality here. Uh, and I, Jen, I think you and Aditi share some, some commonalities. <laughs> um, now, one of the beauties of, of I don't sort know of what having, you're talking about. <laughs> one, of, one of the beauties of having different personalities when it comes to these things is is helping each other where maybe the other person is a little weak. Um, you talked about Jen being a little more action oriented uh, than John, for example. And I was wondering, sort of, when it came to real estate investing, did you face any hurdles? And if so, how did you overcome them together? Yeah, that's a great question. We faced a lot of hurdles. It was a lot of roadblocks and speed bumps along the way. Um, you know, first we had talked a lot, even deciding what real estate to buy after even visiting the two kind of areas was um, was a little bit of a challenge. You know, I think for for Jennifer, she was uh, she was always ready to pull the trigger. So we go to the first city, she's like, "We're buying this one." You go to the second city, like every city we went to, we like like at the end, we like if we had gone with her plan, we would have bought like fifty investment properties and only had the money for. Jennifer's like, I've never so seen a plot land I don't want to buy. Yeah, <laughs> that was a really interesting approach. But I, but but even still, you know, have to, to decide between them, we had a really fine and really good balance. And, you know, we had done a lot of talking and, you know, Jennifer kind of had to manage a lot of my, uh, you know, a- apprehension and fears too. Going through. There's always a kind of that fear of the unknown and fear of, am I making the right choice? And, and you know, Jennifer really had to walk me through that and, 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 and really kind of work with me on that, you know. So there was definite, you know, kind of things there is there anything to add in the beginning part like john said i was ready to pull the trigger and i'm very i am like your typical consumer and so i'm like okay that looks that looks great and i think what he really helps me is hey let's really break down the numbers so that it makes sense and it actually forces us to have um you know, similar to kind of a work setting, right? Like you can't go into a meeting um, and have misaligned goals. And a lot of times, you know, like meetings kind of, you know, there's churn in meetings because you're not even talking about, you know, the meta point of why you're meeting to begin with. And I think when John comes to the table with, you know, research and, and data points and kind of like, hey, by the way, these are the cap rates that we are looking at. And I know you really love the layout of this home, but the cap rates don't work out and the numbers don't work out and it doesn't make sense for us to invest. Like, I think that's what he brings to the table. Um, I think, you know, even though we then align on, hey, this is a property from a numbers perspective makes sense. John still has a problem of like, okay, now let's like actually pull the trigger. And that's where I push him and say, no, I think it's right. Like, you know, we've done all the research. We've done everything that, you know, on your list of requirements that we should do in our due diligence. It's time to actually just like write the check. 
Yeah. And one of the things I'll mention about this real estate deal too, that was really challenging was that we were doing something that was a little bit more unconventional. Um, we were actually selling kind of one home in San Diego that we built up a, a good amount of equity in, and we wanted to, to use a, uh, an instrument in the tax code called 1031 exchange. And for those of your listeners who don't know what that is, it's just a way that you can defer uh, paying capital gains tax on your real estate um, into the future. But it requires you actually to go and buy all the homes that you wanted to buy with the selling one, you know, within a six month period and you have 45 days to identify all the addresses. So it was a really big pressure situation. Imagine trying to buy six or seven homes, you know, in the course of six months, it's, it was stressful. Right. And there was a couple of other things in the process where it, it didn't make things easy. You know, the rates were rising 12 or 13 basis points every single, you know, two or three weeks. And, and we wanted to make sure that we locked things in and, and things were all closing at the same time. So, you know, making sure that we were on time with these loans, because you pay late fees if you don't it was incredibly stressful and we had a lot of challenges working with some of the builders in florida just because they weren't allowing us to get some of the incentives that we wanted but you know that's kind of just one piece and then when we actually closed them on we thought you know we're, we're we're good to go and and you know it's just you know greenfield ahead of us then we started getting hit with some some vacancy issues you know because you imagine that if you had seven homes and we had bought three duplexes in, in oklahoma city so it's really 10 doors right so 10 total doors you know some of the homes you found had some really really bad vacancies and and right. when you're looking and you're staring down the barrel of, of of a really large mortgage you have to pay every month with nothing rented out you know they start you know these homes stop looking like assets they start mm -hmm. looking like liabilities right mm -hmm. And you, uh, somebody has to cover the costs right so there's there's real downsides to this approach as well that you have to be ready for yeah, exactly. And it, it's something that we had thought about, but we hadn't kind of experienced something like that before. And I think that, you know, when we were going through that, that, um, that phase, you know, for me, it was really stressful for me because I'm feeling kind of every single day, just, you know, wanting to make sure that these homes got rented out. And it was really interesting because I got a chance to learn a lot about my wife, but she was like, cool as a cucumber throughout this whole <laughs> experience. Like, yeah, it'll be fine or things will work itself out. And eventually they all did. Right. But it, it taught me a lot about my, my wife. What's really interesting, you've explored real estate as an investment vehicle, and there's a lot of upside and a lot of downside for our listeners. You know, real estate can definitely be a really clever strategy to pursue. Mm -hmm. But as you're seeing John talk, you know, it's really important that you educate yourself. And another podcast that I would highly recommend if you're interested in looking at real estate as a passive income strategy is actually Paulo Pants Afford Anything um, yeah. for the folks. And we'll include links uh, in, in the notes of this episode for that. It's funny that you mentioned that because because Paula Pants for anything was the first blog that I read about real estate investing that got me into it before That's amazing. I bigger Paula podcast. would be happy to hear that. You should let me know. <laughs> so so it seems like you went through quite a bit. It also seems like you both tried to educate yourself uh, quite extensively about the industry and about the space. What what advice would you give to people who are thinking about real estate investing given that experience? The advice that I give is, is treat real estate as a long-term investment. This is a 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 year investment. It's not something that you're going to be able to get rich quick. And I think that a lot of time, uh, you know, even when you look in like the, the mid two thousands, a lot of people were investing in real estate thinking they were going to, you know, grow in equity in like a year and things like that. It's not, that's really not the best strategy to approach. We have to kind of take the long, long-term approach with, with that. Again, this is where my value is in our relationship is it's, it's a business transaction. There needs to be just a lack of emotion that's attached to any of this. Um, when emotions get involved, I think it clouds judgment. And I think it makes these a lot more personal than it should be. And then if you're not ready to lose that money tomorrow, don't use that money to invest. Meaning if I put in $50,000 to invest in something, I need to be ready 
to lose that all tomorrow and I should still be okay. I'm okay financially, I'm okay emotionally, and I'm okay mentally to lose that money. You know, we have friends that, you know, really outkick their coverage in terms of their investments. And I actually think that causes a lot of anxiety. And I think that adds the emotion to it. Such, such good advice, Jennifer. Such, such good advice. We could spend hours talking to you guys about (laughs) real estate, but we're actually going to dive into the second part of our podcast, which is our rapid fire. And for our new listeners, the way this works is we've asked you guys prior to the conversation uh, to list your answers down, each of you, um, about specific questions that we're about to ask you. And we're now asking you guys to share those questions and those answers with each other. Are you guys ready? Yes. Yes. Okay. First question. Um, and either of you can go first. If your partner won a million dollars today, what would they do with the money? She, she would do two things. <laughs> the first thing she would do is she'd probably buy a bag to sell, right? Or some type of luxury <laughs> good to, to commemorate this, this, this moment, right? Uh, and the second thing she'd probably do is probably invest in all real estate. <laughs> um, how, how right is he? <laughs> he is actually very right. I will probably spend it on a vacation or something to, to splurge. And then I will definitely invest all of the rest. Um, for John, I would say it's invest and save 60% invest and then 40% save. How, how right is that? Uh, no, I probably put a hundred percent of it. Invest. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. Um, you always keep each other guessing, right? <laughs> What's one purchase that your partner has made in the last year that you don't understand? I think, Jennifer, you can go first on this one. This was a very easy answer for me. Um, I, it was actually nothing. I, I feel okay. like there's nothing that John buys that he doesn't tell me about, and we actually haven't discussed about it. Um, and and I'm I also um, am someone that just is you know super open to you know people you know spending money on what you know makes them feel good or, or, you know, something that that means or matters to them. And so I don't think there's anything that you've bought in the last year that I've ever even questioned or didn't understand. I feel like we talk about everything. No pressure, John, we should have made you go first. <laughs> uh, I'm going to change my answer to nothing. <laughs> no, no. Um, maybe the only thing is like, is expensive skincare products or something where she's she'll like buy something that's like a couple hundred dollars and, and like I need this and and like it'll sit in the closet for six months and she won't use it and and you know I'll, I'll look back and, and ask Jennifer like did you really need it like maybe that's the only thing I question everything else we talk about you know if she's buying any kind of expensive you know you know luxury items or, or anything else like we, we talk about everything I, I mean I was even reluctant to share that because it's not even a big deal Oh, it's okay. You should expect that more in the future. You know, as as women age, it's going to be a a larger part of my um, monthly expenses. Uh, Aditi's trying to get me to invest in in hair care products, but I'm I'm trying to convince her that I'm not going to be. He has less hair uh, to invest in. Okay, next question. Complete the following sentence. When it comes to money, one thing we cannot agree on is blank. Can I go first on, on this one? Yes. I, I wouldn't ever say that we can never agree on, on anything. Like we always find a way to compromise. There's never a time where we say we just don't agree and we're just going to leave it out in the ether. Um, but that to say, doesn't mean that we don't have difficult conversations about compromising about money uh, or having tough conversations. But we always find a way um, to, I feel like, compromise and, and come mm-hmm. up with a decision that we both uh, feel, feel good about. Um. Oh, okay. This is where we differ. <laughs> so... so- <laughs> 
kind of what I mentioned um, uh, earlier. Uh, I think we are always um, challenging each other on the living for the now versus living for the future. Mm-hmm. I think that like whenever we start any sort of financial conversation, we always start on the further end of either of the spectrum. And then again, as we talk, we kind of get closer and we compromise. But I feel like, you know, at the jump, we always kind of start off on the either end. I'm always like, let's live for the now um, and live in the present. And John's always um, living for the future. So that's kind of where, where we differ, I think. You know, we get closer as we continue to communicate, but I think that's always a, a challenge that we have. What's the money question you wish you had asked your partner when things started to get serious? Uh, kind of like a turning point in in our relationship um, where I think, you know, when we started to talk about the future is, you know, what what was the ideal life that you wanted to live? Like, where where did you see yourself at 50? Um, and what did you want to achieve? I know that's a it's a very loaded question and there's probably three <laughs> nestled in that one question. But I think that is really telling of, you know, um, someone's you know, I, ideals of kind of where they see themselves financially um, and, and what to them is financially secure. And for me, my threshold for that is much higher than than John's. And so um, I think, you know, we kind of stumbled upon that, um, you know, throughout, throughout our like kind of real estate adventure and, and just the fact that, you know, we've like, you know, bought a home together before we got married. Um, and it kind of forced those conversations, but I, that would be something that I wish I asked even sooner and, and had candid conversations about even sooner. Cause I think those were some hard conversations that we had definitely, um, you know, further down in our relationship as we got more serious. Jennifer mentioned that there's three things, you know, subplots of kind of what she mentioned. I, I, I just keyed on one of them, which is, which is, you know, how much do you want to save for retirement? You know, one of the things that for me, I, I always have kind of a, uh, you know, a fear that there's never going to, we're never going to save enough for retirement. So having that conversation earlier on, I think would be really good to be on the same, same page about. Awesome. And our final question is what is your partner's best money habit or ritual? Two things. One of them is a little bit less serious and the second one, which is a little bit more serious. Jennifer always has this knack for being able to find like the lowest gas price, like at anywhere. Like she is always scouring. And like, if we find a gas station that doesn't have the lowest gas price, we have to go and drive, you know, 10 miles and waste, you know, and to be able to find that. So, so that's, that's been an interesting uh, money habit. Um, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say another as, thing. As a guy who goes and buys toothpaste at, you know, yeah. at, at, at a place, that, that must be a really great one for you. That, that one really surprised me. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, you know, like one day you'll, you'll go out and buy a couple thousand dollar handbag and tomorrow you're going to save, you know, 50 cents on, on gas. And it just wasn't congruent in my mind. But, you know, <laughs> it I makes complete sense. Some things that, you know, I should save. Uh, um, uh, but the, the, the other thing that I'll mention, which is a little bit more serious, is um, uh, Jennifer is the type of person who's actually, a, uh, even though she does dabble in uh, you know single stocks, is a little bit riskier, she has this knack where she just doesn't sell. She, she really takes the long approach. And this is something that mm-hmm. we had talked about uh, even earlier on in our relationship, something that I had to, you know, I learned and I, I really appreciate about her, that, you know, she still has stocks and in, in, in that she has, you know, invested in, in her first company over seven, eight years ago. That, that's, that's, you know, had she sold early, like a lot of our, our, our friends, would work at a, at a company, she wouldn't have been able to um, to, to to have as large of multipliers. So I think that's something that I really learned from her. I, I really do appreciate about her when it comes to investing. This is something I appreciate about um, John and something that I try to do and I feel like I don't do as good of a job is I feel like John does a lot of research and he doesn't invest in anything that he doesn't 
completely understand and know and and is really comfortable with. And although, you know, um, you know, whether it's mutual funds or bonds, it's just a little bit more um, conservative. Um, it's something that he understands inside and out. Um, and I think that's just super smart. It's something that I try to do. Um, you know, I definitely don't have as knack of for research as he does. And so that's something that I really appreciate about him. Um, and in general, I think just saving. He has just incredible discipline about saving. Um, and I think that's just um, a muscle that, again, I continue to work on, but it's definitely not something that, uh, you know, is a strength of mine. And so that's something it, it's great that he has that for the both of us. But I think it it continues to kind of rub off on me. Thank you both for, for, for those for those answers. I think one of the things that they've highlighted and this conversation as a whole is highlighted is the, the beautiful outcome of bringing together two people who approach issues, challenges, problems uh, from very different perspectives. And I think one thing you've brought to the table that you both seem to share is a, a willingness and an openness uh, to consider the other person's point of view. And it seems as if the place where you net it out is uh, a higher sort of local maximum as a result of it. So so thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah, it's a very inspiring story, not only for us who face similar dynamics in our relationship, but I know for a lot of listeners, because couples typically come into their relationships with very different money personalities. And you guys have told us about a very real and intangible story and how you've navigated that. So thank you guys for joining us today. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah, this has been really fun. The Money Date Podcast is an initiative of Zeta, a company I launched to help couples track and manage their finances together. If you're inspired by what you heard on this show, you can learn more about us at askzeta.com. And if you'd like to support the podcast, here are a few ways to do so. You can subscribe to it. Leave reviews on iTunes, Anchor, or wherever you happen to listen to your podcasts, or share it on social media with your friends. And if you'd like to be a guest on our show, write to us at podcast at askzeta.com.